Welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Evan Schwarztrauber. On today's show, Brexit and the implications for technology. Joining me to discuss this is Will Reinhardt, director of, Will, you know, you're a friend of mine and I don't know your title <laughs> and I didn't bother to of course you didn't. confirm this before Lots the show. Lots of preparation is done here at Tech Freedom, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean. Uh, yeah, technology and innovation, uh, director of technology and innovation policy, American Action Forum. Great. So that's the title. That and is uh, the title. obviously at the Tech Policy Podcast, we like to be on top of all the breaking <laughs> news stories. <laughs> so now a month so, later, we're yeah. going to talk about Brexit, right? So back in June, <laughs> this was a really hot topic yeah, and uh, we like to make make sure that it doesn't go too stale. So mm-hmm. this was, I think, the last possible day where people would find this interesting, and that's yeah. why we scheduled it this way. Sounds good to me. All right. So, yeah, a while ago, <laughs> the UK voted to leave the European yeah. Union. Brexit. And there was a lot of focus on the price of the pound, or the, the, the value of the pound, and what it means for financial mm-hmm. markets, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But shockingly, CNN and BBC did not focus a lot on the tech policy angles. And clearly those of, of us, those of us who work in tech policy were shocked to find that mainstream media did not take up this angle. But it is a really interesting angle and it might actually change your opinion about whether this was a good or bad thing mm-hmm. um, based on tech. So let's start with one of the three issues that we've kind of identified in our in our very rigorous preparation for the episode. I mean, I've done preparation, but... I mean, yeah, yeah. That, that's your job. You're yeah, supposed to course. come on here yeah, and tell people things. I, I don't know anything. No, um, come on now, come on. <laughs> but anyway, so part of the attraction for tech companies, if they wanted to set up mm-hmm. shop in the UK, was knowing that, look, you can set up shop in the UK, which there are certain national benefits of that country, yeah. but then on top of that, you get access to the digital single market and you have complied with all the EU tech policy regulations just by virtue of having set up shop in the UK. Exactly. And the idea that two years from now, you that could be undone or that you're complying only with the UK and then you have to maybe open another office and it's somewhere else in the US. So just talk about a little bit about the location aspects of why this affects startups and how this informs people's decisions about whether the UK is a good place to do business. Yeah. So stepping back for just a second, I mean, I think the important part here is that the UK obviously is a huge trading partner and, and, and even more so, you know, even additional to that is that it's a huge digital trading partner and digital trade really is absolutely massive. Um, so I looked up some of the statistics and this comes from uh, USTR, if I, if I remember this correctly. But uh, the last time there was really good data came from 2014, and the United States in total exported about $183 billion uh, in digital goods and services to the EU. So, uh, you know, the total amount that, it, well, stepping back for a second, that, it, that $183 billion number is about 40% of all digital trade. And, and by far, the UK is the biggest partner there. And is that just a, a basically the effect of the UK using a lot of American services, whether that yes. be our social media companies, advertising, streaming mm-hmm. services? That's that, that number really reflects the infatuation that British citizens have with American tech products. Yeah, more specifically in the UK, it is uh, the two biggest 
the two biggest industries there are consulting and then finance. So in fact, there you know the what you were you're talking about is the streaming the uh, the money that that you'll get from you know um, streaming services is kind of its own category, and that okay. that is that's usually pretty consistent among among the different countries. Um, in fact, Ireland tends to have uh, among the biggest amount of uh, of that sort of industry. But what the UK has specialized in and continues to specialize in is in finance. And, you know, while we've had this discussion since the 2009 downturn about about um, about finance and financial instruments, they're still hugely important to the American economy. And they're still a really, really big and important part. And while we often talk about tech and regulation, one of the big things that continues to drive American innovation, especially out in Silicon Valley, is is VC money and is just this the depths of financial markets, which which again is is really where the UK specializes in. Is and when VC. you say VC money, just to clarify, we're talking about the venture capital money mm-hmm. that funds a lot of these startups and takes them from small shop to big shop. Yes, yes. But really what we're talking about here writ large is just complex financial markets, deep financial markets as sometimes they're called, and, and VCs are a very important part of that. In the in the EU, specifically, the UK really is the center of finance and has become the center of uh, financial tech. And, you know, whenever we talk about fintech, that really is, 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 um, is the place that most people are, or most Europeans are located is, is within London. Yeah. And what, so I know that Frankfurt in Germany is a mm-hmm. big competitor to London yep. when it comes to being the financial center. So kind of analogous to New York being the financial center of the United States, but San Francisco having a fairly robust financial exactly, center, yeah. London, Frankfurt's kind of number two. Now, I I hear I heard some rumblings right after Brexit that Frankfurt was going to benefit directly from the Brexit, basically because of the fact that it's the number two financial city and part of London's appeal was that it was in the in the European Union. What do you think the effects of Brexit will be in terms of financial tech, that $140 billion number? I mean, where is the- 180. What's, 180, whatever. Yeah. You know, $40 billion, who cares? Yeah. Uh, but wh- how is Brexit going to impact this bucket of issues surrounding digital financial instruments, et cetera? Yeah, and that's the big question that everyone's asking. And and. We will see how it plays out. The big thing that we're really talking about here is this issue called passporting. So you you set up shop. You only really have to set up shop once in the EU and and through this the the through the um, through a set of instruments known as as passporting. If you've set up shop within within London, then you can trade and and you can have your you know your financial services anywhere else within the European Union. Now. Now that the UK is leaving, well, what happens to these these financial services? And this includes, you know, insurance of various sorts, but also includes banking. And those two things are hugely important, not just to, you know, traditional uh, traditional services and traditional industries, but also that that those things provide a huge backing to new innovative services. You know, the 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 startup hubs are hugely uh, influenced by these just very traditional uh, uh banks within Europe, which actually is, is a little bit different as compared to the United States. So the United States, when we think about, you know, well, how do, how do, how do new startups actually, you know, get their footing financially, the majority of, or at least a significant portion within the United States get it through VC money, but that's actually really not the case elsewhere. And in fact, banks still have a very huge and important role within Europe as, as far as a driver of innovative startups. So 
now that the e, now that the EU potentially could have could not have London within that at least within their within their um, uh, within their single market, what that means for London and what that means for the ability of London banks to be a a key player in driving startup growth is really a big big question. And again, it goes back to this issue of passporting. So as soon as you're able to, you know, because of this, uh, because of the passporting, um, you're able to just set up shop again in London and you're able to trade for the rest of, to the rest of Europe. So the question for a company that's deciding in the, in this two year limbo period or however long it takes to actually finalize Brexit or whether it might happen. I mean, there's a lot of question marks and that's why we can't really nail down an answer for what does this mean? Because there's a chance this doesn't even go through, but, um, the question is, do the, do the advantages of the London financial sector and the United Kingdom as a member state individually outweigh the losses from leaving the EU? And that remains to be seen. Now, yeah. another big issue is, of course, this bureaucracy in Brussels. And that was one oh, of the yeah, very much so. other than the immigration issue, which seemed to get most of the play in the media. I think it's safe to say a lot of Brexiters voted based on regulation, based on the idea that Brusselcrats, as they are derisively referred to sometimes, <laughs> can pass regulations that affect the entire EU without votes, without the ability to vote those people out of office. It's very much a top-down regulatory system, very much in the French model where Paris controls the entire country, as opposed to other things like the United States, which has state power, Germany, which has federal you know, division of power. The United Kingdom was seen as a free market voice at the table, mm -hmm. which could push back against the French and the Germans and the other big players in the European Union. Exactly. What does it mean for tech policy and for technology to not have the UK at the table anymore? So short term, some of the tech policy regulations, as they're known, they're already baked in. So um, currently, the the EU is governed by a series of privacy regulations known as the just generally known as the Privacy Directive. In the next year, uh, 2018, actually, we're going to see a the uh, a far more formal version of that. Well, not not formal, but a far more onerous version of that called uh, a privacy regulation. So. Within the EU, there are different versions of laws and, and, you know, within the privacy directive specifically, each of the different countries themselves can, can kind of interpret or at least have some leeway in interpreting the, the, the laws. But once you step up, a, you know, up to regulation, this regulation as it's uh, writ large will apply across the entire EU. For privacy, privacy has been, has been, has been left up to a certain extent by the states. Now, of course, there has been harmonization, but in in a very near future they're going to step up to this higher regulation uh law now without going really into the the complexity of eu privacy law which is itself a very complex space the point is is that in at least in the next year two years a lot of the privacy regulations are going to be baked in but then the question is well what happens afterwards what happens in 2018 and what happens with you know, um, artificial intelligence. Uh, this has been a huge thing that's been, well, it is an issue that has been talked about pretty extensively. The EU and, and obviously policymakers within the EU have started to talk about that and, and what that will mean and how the states, that, you know, how the EU uh, regulatory bodies are actually going to start um, uh, thinking about this. So at least in the interim, there doesn't seem to be a huge change with the regulation side. Now, what could change pretty dramatically is the competition side. So 
while there may have been, you know, while there's been development on this, the, the privacy regulations, the other side is, well, what, what about antitrust? What about competition policy? What about, what about mergers and acquisitions? Yeah, what about Google and, and Facebook and, and all the other major players, the major American players in, in these spaces? So what happens, what happens now that there has been a more of a concerted effort to actually go after some of these players? Yeah, so. and, and just to, to put a finer point on that, we did a show on this before, it seems like the European Union is using antitrust as a way to extract revenue from American companies. I mean, in the most cynical way possible, that's how you can interpret it because yeah. Europeans prefer certain American services even to a greater degree than Americans, like the search, you know, the traditional search market, meaning search engines. Google dominates in Europe to a degree that they don't even dominate in the United States. Yes. And, and then the EU decides, okay, they have a monopoly and we're going to fine them $3 billion. Um, is, I guess the question is, is the UK's presence in the European Union preventing more dumb crap like that from happening? And will the EU be even more aggressive against American tech companies without the UK there? Because the UK is generally friendlier to American tech companies and there are less privacy concerns among the populace as opposed to German citizens and French citizens and the UK was kind of our friend in that regard. And now that they're not there, will the EU just run wild with this anti-American tech stuff? I think that there is the worry that that may happen. Now, what it looks like in reality, I think, is still yet to be seen. And, you know, obviously, as, a, as an analyst in this space, you're, you're, I'm never really willing to make huge, sweeping proclamations. You know, either this thing is going to happen or the, either this thing is going to happen or this other thing is going to happen. But the UK has often been seen as this mitigating force to the other two major big economies within Europe, those two being uh, Germany and France. And in many, you know, while the UK was very uh, in, important in driving the, the fintech space, the Germans have, have been one of the major players in privacy regulation. And the French have typically taken a more active role in regulation of mergers. And that's, that's not an actual, you know, perfect analogy or a, a perfect breakdown. But, but to a certain extent, it was often seen that UK added this mitigating force that was a little bit more pro-innovation. It was a little uh, less skeptical of regulation in the traditional kind of like Anglo, Anglo-American economic uh, tradition that, that has long existed now, with that being said, you know, what happens in the next couple of years with, with Google, it does kind of, you know, with Google and Facebook, it does kind of seem that they're already being, they're already being pushed down that, that route. I mean, there already is this outstanding antitrust case, which I don't think we're going to get into today, but what happens in the future and, and, and what do, what does that, what does it look like in the future without the, the sort of. Uh, UK regulators and the UK individuals who, again, as I mentioned, were were seen as this mitigating force. I think that's actually very worrisome. And weirdly enough, you know, having been to uh, Berlin and, and Brussels and having talked to some of the uh, some of the individuals and the you know the bureaucrats, the Brusselcrats, you know, you you see this is you you see this distance between them and often the other kind of the other kind of extreme that exists in Silicon Valley. So for them, it's often this maintenance of, you know, somewhat traditional uh, business relationships and job relationships. And especially so, you know, that would be on one side of the one side of the extreme. And on the other side, you have Silicon Valley, which is kind of like, you know, this 
some some call this heartless amnesiac, but but I think that that really at the end of the day, what what what's actually happening here in in Silicon Valley is you have this experimentation that that many especially many Germans and many many French aren't necessarily comfortable with this idea of innovating and of kind of you know of uh, you know tearing up the old to create a new world like that is very much kind of this American innovative mindset that doesn't really seem to exist elsewhere. Disruptive innovation. Um, very much so, Just yeah. coming in kind of the Uber model, coming in guns blazing, like setting up without even necessarily asking for permission, kind of giving a cold shoulder to regulators and government. And I think tech companies have learned their lesson the hard way in that regard. And there's a reason that all the major players these days have offices in Washington because they know that maybe in a perfect idealistic libertarian world, people can sit 3,000 miles away in Silicon Valley and do whatever they want and not pay any mind to government, but that's just not the reality. Mm -hmm. And any savvy company realizes that they have to play ball, yet they might be uncomfortable with what it means to play ball in Brussels. And, you know, Baron brought up on a previous show how he was at IGF and they were complaining that there, were, there was too much Anglo-Saxon debate going on. That it's like, there's just like, I, a, I have to listen to this podcast. I didn't even know that was a, yeah. And it's just I kind of, I think that they're, they might be put off by, by American companies who show up, the consumers all love them and they establish a foothold without having asked people who might not know anything about technology. Let's, mm -hmm. you know, Nigel Farage, the UKIP leader went into the EU <laughs> parliament after the Brexit and, you know, the guy is you know, fairly referred to as an extremist because of his comments on immigration. But there was a little kernel of truth in what he said about when he, when he made a sweeping declaration that no one in the EU parliament had ever had a real job in their <laughs> lives. Obviously, that's an exaggeration. But I think what he's getting at is that Brusselcrats are career civil servants. They mm -hmm. go to a certain university. They take a certain test. Yes. Their, their parents were certain people. And their career arc is very much focused on bureaucracy and being effective at bureaucracy, not necessarily a lot of business owners in there, not a lot of entrepreneurs. And for all our complaints about Congress and how out of touch they are, you do see that crossover. You do see people who Daryl Issa founded a major tech company, sold it, ran for Congress. I mean, there's a lot of, there, there's a little bit more diversity in career path maybe in the U.S. Congress as opposed to the EU parliament. And that can be frustrating for engineers who are basically dealing with someone who's an expert at regulating, but not an expert in the thing they are regulating. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think there's also a larger conversation that's going on as well. I mean, some of the major companies that, that have come in and that, that seem to be the face of, of uh, you know, American innovation or American entrepreneurialism, at least in the last couple of years, the two big ones have been Uber and Airbnb, which, you know, you and I have both worked extensively on. The thing that is always interesting to me about uh, Airbnb, and I, you know, I've used Airbnb in Europe and uh, in a number of different cities. And the one thing that really, interestingly enough, and I actually, I, I actually met a uh, secretary general. Um, I stayed at one of his places in Brussels, which was a very interesting and enlightening experience. But beyond that story, and and uh, what what is clearly the case is that there's other larger issues, especially when it comes to Airbnb, the, the larger issue is really of, you know, of, of how can you actually afford to own a place in, in uh, downtown Paris, or how can you afford a place in London? The question isn't necessarily, at least I would, I would argue that isn't necessarily related to the technology companies specifically. It's that the technology companies, especially when they come into these spaces, they, 
they um, highlight these longstanding issues. So with with Uber, uh, the longstanding issues obviously been and, and some cities have done very, very well with it. But um, Uber has obviously been, at least in the United States, has been a longstanding issue with taxi cab regulation uh, and just the the barriers and limits to to entry. With Airbnb, it, it, it clearly is related to the cost of rent and the cost of housing, which is a which is a conversation that's been going on uh, previous to Airbnb and will continue long after if they you know if they don't exist. Yeah, and Germany has taken a very heavy handed approach to Uber and Airbnb. It's And Germany's taken a very heavy-handed approach to Uber and Airbnb. It's kind of ironic that their approach to Uber is so heavy-handed given that the name of the app is German, but uh, <laughs> that's maybe a, another show. Uh, maybe they should have called their app something different. Maybe it would have pissed the Germans off a little less. Uh, they can be vengeful, I've heard. Um, but really, bottom line, we've obviously identified a, a ton of questions that are up in the air that it really would be yes. impossible to answer until we know how Brexit is going to play out. But bottom line is your prediction based on the article that you wrote that I'll link to in the show notes, that the short-term beneficiary of the Brexit when it comes to tech is that the German mindset will have more clout. And that's very restrictive on privacy. When we talk about privacy, this whole episode, we haven't been talking about government surveillance. We're talking about private data collection, commercial use of data, which is less controversial in the United States than it is in Europe. Is your bottom line prediction that the Germany is going to have more influence because of Frankfurt being a financial center and because they will be the dominant voice in these conversations at the European Commission in Brussels and the UK won't be there to say, hey, wait a second, American tech companies are not as evil as you're suggesting. I think, yes, I think that some version of that is probably going to occur, that there probably will be more of a shift towards uh, Germany. And, there, you know, the Germans have a huge influence within the privacy, the, the privacy sector here and the, the privacy policy conversation. What I think is probably going to be a little bit more interesting, at least in the long term, is first off, does does the does the weight of the financial um, does the weight of the financial hub within Europe, or does the financial hub in, within Europe does it shift from London to Frankfurt, and what does that mean, for example, for for data and data policy? It'll also be very interesting because in the next year, from what I understand, in talking to a couple of uh, of uh, members. Um, within the the German Parliament is that in fact that there is they're undergoing their own huge massive undertaking in trying to understand their surveillance capabilities within within Germany. I hope that that you know and this isn't obviously I don't want to get into huge discussion about surveillance and the relationship to surveillance and and these conversations we're having today. But I think that we're going to see within the next two years a bigger and more interesting conversation, at least coming from the Germans, looking at themselves, it looks like, it seems like this, something along those lines is going to happen. And the reason I say this is because one of the, one of the members of, uh, one of the members of the parliament actually said that he's, you know, looking at the surveillance state and he's looking at the German surveillance state. And, and once, once that Pandora's box is open, then, then the French are going to have to do the same. And, and you're kind of, I don't want to say you're off to the races, but you're having a much more balanced conversation because I think that for a very long time, it has been a very unbalanced conversation with 
with a lot known about the American surveillance state. Because and, of Snowden, whereas yeah. the Europeans are essentially have gotten a free pass because they because they haven't had their own Snowden. But uh, there has been there's been very little in discussion. And that that bleeds a lot, a lot into commercial privacy. And so yeah. the Europeans, there is really no distinction between commercial and government surveillance issues, even though, you know, within the United States, there is generally this kind of bifurcation between the two. Well, that's it for today's show. Of course, my listeners would know that I would never bring some American to come on the show to Amerisplain about what the Brexit <laughs> means for technology. So, Will, thank you for faking it, this American accent so effectively for the last 23 minutes. It really is impressive how good these Brits are at American accents. I mean, they keep, it is amazing. You know, we talk about foreigners stealing our jobs. They're coming over here stealing our Oscars. <laughs> so um, that that's a good thing. And thank you for being so... British on this show because it really adds weight to what you've had to say. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> so my guest has been Will Reinhardt. Can you say your title again since I didn't bother to write it down? <laughs> of course. Director of Technology and Innovation Policy at the American Action Forum. Yeah, sure. Whatever. Okay. Um, follow okay. us on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, send us an email at media at techfreedom.org. Let us know what you think of the show. Uh, let us know what you think of Will and his American accent. Uh, pitch topics for the show, guests you'd like to hear more of. Uh, find this podcast in the iTunes store where you can leave us a review because we'll help others find the show. Thanks for listening. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work, make a tax-deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.